going on branches how are we doing oh wow that was uh that was good relative to the amount of people in here you guys showed up this morning so good on you good on you we are in week three of this series a storm is coming it's kind of this interesting thing that i've noticed it's not fun but it is interesting um is no one would sit here and say okay the weather today means the weather uh, is going to be the same tomorrow. You're not going to look at it. I mean, especially in Oregon going into the fall, you know, you got a nice sunny Friday that the storm is indeed coming. And now, you know, it's kind of finally here. Um, but, but no one would sit there and argue like, okay, it's sunny today. So it's going to be sunny tomorrow. But oftentimes in our life, uh, our, our preparedness for the storm doesn't reflect um, that we that we think that I mean it doesn't reflect that we believe that uh, the the weather today doesn't affect the weather tomorrow because oftentimes we're caught uh, in the storm without a coat without being ready without being prepared and so I mean that's been evident enough in my life and I, I was thinking just kind of over the summer like well what do I want for us as a church and I'm like I want to be ready for the storm. I want to be ready for the storm because life, as we know, has storms. Life looks a lot like peaks and valleys. You're up and you're down. Um, and, and we're always kind of on this wave at some level. Um, but the, the, the difficult part is, is that oftentimes we sit at the top and we're like, oh, great, this is, this is how we're going to be for a while. And how many of us know that it's just one phone call away from being in the pit of the valley? You know that phone call that you get from the person that doesn't usually call you and you're like, on the other end of this phone call, I know there could be a life-changing news, like a life-changing story on the other end of this, and it just takes you from the peak to the valley. And just like that as well, uh, oftentimes we can feel like we're in a valley, but we're really only halfway down the wave as something else. You know, when it rains, it pours, and it just gets piled on, piled on. I felt like that over the last couple weeks. I know many of you have felt like that too. It's like, okay, we're already struggling, and then it's just boom, like you get hit by another freight train, and you're like, are you kidding me? How is this even possible? And so life is like that, but thankfully, as we look at Scripture, we have a template to uh, be prepared uh, we talked about this in week one of this series. Jesus, at the end of his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, sums it all up with this. He says, those of you who hear these words of mine and put them into practice. They're like the wise man who built their house on the rock because when the storms came, the wind blew, the floodwaters came and beat against the house, that that, that house stood firm. And the sobering thought, the sobering truth on the flip side of that is that when um, we hear his words and we do not put them into practice, we're like the foolish man, the foolish person who didn't put them into practice. So when the storms came, uh, it was like someone who built their house on the sand. When the storms came, the wind blew, all that happened. uh, And then the house came tumbling down. It came, it it was destroyed. It was flattened. It was uh, just blown up because uh, that person wasn't ready because what they had built their life on wasn't something worth building their life for. So um, as he gives us this template on how we can be prepared for the storm, we're exploring spiritual disciplines, practices, habits that we should all be in if we want to be ready for the storm. And uh, I, I love this. We're going to be talking about this guy today, but this has kind of been the, the verse of the series. The wisest man to ever live, Solomon, said this. He says, when the storms of life come, when they come, it's not if they come, it's when they come. The wicked, their world away, but the godly, those who pursue godliness, they have a lasting foundation. 
And as a church, that's like, that's where I want to be. As an individual, for my family, for you guys, this is where I want to be. So we're exploring this series, um, and we're having some fun with it. Uh, I'm bringing up some friends of mine that I think have done these spiritual practices, these disciplines well, and we're seeing how it is that they did it. So you don't have to just hear from a pastor um, because, you know, it's hard, you know, to measure up to that perfection that us as pastors carry. No. Come on, it feels like that sometimes. Like, oh, that's, he's a pastor. He's paid to do that. He's got to be good and always, you know, everything's fine and that's yeah, not true. Uh, but it is helpful, I think, to hear from other people. Uh, just, it just, it's valuable. And so we get to hear some testimony during this series. So we'll be going through that. Um, one of the primary ways we build this foundation um, is to really know about God and who he is. I, I think without that, it, it's difficult to build a foundation on someone that you don't really know. So it's like, it begs this question, how do we know God? How do we know God? Um, because that has such huge implications on our life. Because if we know God, we kind of know who we are in relation to God. We kind of got to know who he is to know who we are. And he puts that identity on us. So we're exploring today how it is that we know God. And, and Today, it's, it's an incredible time that we live in, an incredible time as far as having tools at our disposal to know God. I was just looking at uh, a little bit of the history of the Bible, because that's what we're talking about today. The history of the Bible, it's pretty incredible. Um, the Bible was, you know, 2,000 years ago, it was, it was a collection of scrolls. And like literal scrolls, and they had to keep them together. And it was like you, you didn't just have like a scroll cabinet at home where you could pull it out at night and read to your kids or whatever. Um, it wasn't even until about 1520 that the Bible started becoming uh, in print to, to where the masses could find it and read it. And it was actually at the Leipzig Fair, which I believe is in Germany, uh, in 1522 is when they first started printing it and like putting it up for sale so it was available to the public. This was a great feat for the Bible. And it took about three, and that's 1,500 years before like the, 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 the biblical canon was kind of put together or established at that time. 1,500 years later was it actually in print and available to the public. An incredible feat. About 300 years later with the invention of the steam press, it was able to not just be a couple hundred or a couple thousand books printed at a time, but hundreds of thousands of books printed at a time. So that was a major, major feat to where the Bible wasn't uh, something that, that, that cost a fortune. It was much more available to the public. And then just in the last 15 or 20 years, I mean, another great feat. If you have a smartphone, you can have the Bible for free. It can be available anytime, anywhere, in, in, in hundreds of languages. Like, it's an incredible feat. The amount of tools that we have are at our disposal to know God. I mean, we're living in a beautiful time in history. The sad thing is, is that all those tools don't matter, right, if we don't use them. They don't really do us any good if we're not actively using those tools. And so we have them at our disposal. And I just want to tell you today... I'm giving away things early on in my message, um, so that's kind of fun. What I want you to do today as we walk out of here, I, I'm ho I hope you're inspired to read the Bible. I, I really do. I hope you're inspired to read, read the Bible often, consistently, and a lot. That's what my hope for you today, if we all walked out of here, and if we all just, maybe we could all just like come together and agree on that, and then I could just cut our message short, and you guys could get on with your day. Um, maybe not. We'll get into it. Okay. So, 
And I think one of the main reasons, there's a lot of reasons why I want you to read scripture, but one of the main reasons is obviously to know God, but just understanding myself, and, and I hope this relates to somebody else, but one of the reasons I want you to read it and read it consistently is because uh, we're forgetful people. Have you noticed that? We are forgetful people. I'm, I'm a forgetful person. I, I, I struggle to focus a lot of times. Sometimes when I read scripture, I'm like reading and I'm thinking about something else. I'm like, I just read all that and I have no idea what is even happening right now. So I got to go back and read it again. But we're forgetful people. I did a quick little study on this in preparation for this message. And I found that, uh, that it's not just me. It is not just me. That 50% of what we learn, we actually forget within an hour. That's crazy. That's scary. 50% of what we learn, we, we, we forget within an hour, and that goes up to 70% over 24 hours. And so for those of us who are followers of Jesus, I mean, we can't not be in the Word, living and breathing it constantly because we will forget. Information is, is just easy come, easy go oftentimes. So we need to be in it consistently, consistently to build that foundation. And I think even if you're here today, and, and of course we are a church, building a church that we can bring our friends to. If you're here today and your friend brought you and you're like, I'm not even sure about this whole Jesus thing yet, I would say give it a chance. Give this scripture thing a chance because worst case scenario, you, you waste five or ten minutes of your day. Um, and I'd like you to consider how quickly, and this is for Jesus people too, how quickly you can waste five or 10 minutes out of your day. <laughs> I mean, come on. So worst case, you, you lose a few minutes. Best case, you change your life forever. So, yeah, you know, it, it, I think it pencils out. Let's do it. So um, look, so I want to look today. I, I love looking at scripture because there's so many examples of people uh, who have gone before us, who, uh, who are real people that have struggled with many of the same things that we've struggled with, who have gone through trials and, and difficult times, uh, and, and people really that, that have been close to the heart of God. And when I look at scripture, I think one person in particular that I'm like, I, I, if it's not just Jesus I'm modeling my life after, which I, I'm trying to do, but to see someone who actually accomplished it very well. He was known as a man after God's own heart. I mean, God sought him out as a, as a king when King Saul was, was struggling with pride. And they're like, I want a man who's, at, God's like, I want a man who's after my own heart. And he picked his humble servant, the youngest of his family, this man who became King David. What a powerful, powerful example David is. Uh, and so I want to look at something that he wrote in the book of Psalms, at the beginning of Psalms. It's an incredible song and prayer book. It's, it's so neat. Uh, uh, David wrote a big chunk of these Psalms. And uh, you just see his heart before the Lord. And it's not always pretty. Sometimes it's pretty rough. I think a couple, I think it was last week or the week before, Josh was sharing Psalm 23. Uh, it's like, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. And it's just incredible. I love Psalm 23, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Uh, but right before that, Psalm 22 is like, same guy, David, saying, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? I'm like, do we pray like that sometimes? Because I think we need to. Because I feel like that sometimes, but then I feel like I can't really bring that to God because he'll be mad at me if I let him know how I really feel as if he doesn't actually know how I really feel, you know? And so I'm like, why not, why not let him have it? Like, talk to him real, like in the struggle and the pain, talk to him. And I think the talking to him again is the win. We covered that last week. You can go back and watch that. So David said this in Psalm 1, verse 1. He said, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or, or sit in the company of mockers. But he says, but, the, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord? 
Another way of reading this would be whose delight is in the word of the Lord, whose delight is in the scripture of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. So he's like, it's not just a matter of just reading it, but it's actually like internalizing it, meditating it, ruminating on it. We talked about this earlier this summer, uh, to be like a cow, to like ruminate on it, to chew the cud of the word and to spend time just absorbing all the nutrients, all, everything that it has to offer, to really spend time on it. He said, blessed is the one who does that. He says, that person who does this is like a tree planted by streams of water. And I love this picture because I live right along a creek and these, these alder trees just grow like crazy, like too crazy, annoyingly crazy. Um, and, and they just grow, grow, grow. They're just sucking up all the water in season, and they, just, they, they don't bear any fruit, which is unfortunate, but you know, all analogies break down. He says, which yields its fruit in season whose leaves do not wither. And whatever they do, they prosper. And this was David, a man after God's own heart. He's like, look at the picture of someone who ruminates, who, who is after the heart of God, who pursues Scripture and meditates on it day and night. They're like a tree planted like a, by a riverbank. And I'm like, man, that's, that's how I want to be. I don't know about you, but that's how I want to be. And he's like, this is the template. This is how you do it. And this extended actually to his son, Solomon. We talk about Solomon a lot. Solomon, uh, the wisest man to ever live. Solomon was a total baller. I mean, when you read uh, the, the historical count of his life, I mean, he's not only regarded as the wisest man to ever live, but possibly the richest man to ever live puts Elon Musk to shame, you know, he's out there, and people were, like, just showing up, like, neighboring countries showing up, giving him tribute, like, all this stuff, gold, riches, wood, like, to build the temple, he built uh, one of the, uh, the uh, marvels of the ancient world, he, he wrote, he built this temple to God, like, incredible, incredible feat of architecture and all this stuff, and people were just hooking him up, giving him everything, I mean, Solomon was this incredible, incredible person, and in Solomon's life, again, he was like this tree planted by streams of water. He said this in Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. He said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in, I think about Solomon, richest man, the wisest man. If anybody had the right to be like, trust in yourself with all your heart. It's like, look what I've done. And even in that point, he, with humility, he points at God. He's like, trust in the Lord with all your heart. The king, the one who's hit the pinnacle of everything in life throughout history, he's like, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit. King doesn't submit to anybody. Yet Solomon, in all his glory and his splendor, he submitted to the Lord. He says, and he will make your path straight. He experienced all the riches this world has to offer, yet still his posture before the Lord is like, I'm going to submit to him. And so you see Solomon, father, or, uh, David and, and Solomon, father and son, like street, uh, trees planted by streams of water. What a great picture of their life. I mean, they're gleaning from the source of life itself, spending time with God on his word, meditating on it day and night. And then comes along Solomon's son. Let's see what he did. His name was Rehoboam. The first clue that he's going to be a bad guy in the Bible, he's got a weird name. You go from like normal <laughs> names, I don't know, you go from normal names like Joe and Pete and stuff like that, and then you're like Rehoboam. It's like, watch out. Here it comes. So this was Solomon's son. Solomon's son, uh, you know, the heir to the Davidic throne, this whole thing. I mean, God had, had done so much. You think he'd 
made a promise to Abraham and it came through, you know, and Moses led the people out of Egypt and into the promised land. Joshua led them into the promised land and all this stuff. And it was a little rough there for a while. And then finally the kingdom's established. God's like, oh, this is good. And I'm going to, the Messiah is going to come through the, uh, through David's line. And then through all this, everything was, was pretty good at this point. And then Rehoboam comes along and he's in charge. Again, why is it important to meditate on it day, on, day and night, to be in the Word, to be in Scripture, to be reading it day after day after day? Because it's easy to forget. So Rehoboam comes along. He's in charge of everything. And quickly we see a fall from grace, a fall from all the splendor and beauty of, of the kingdom that God was blessing it and Rehoboam, and all suddenly stuff just goes bad. We'll see what happened here. Uh, so Rehoboam was in charge of the kingdom. And he had some people come up to him, and they're like, hey, look, wise counsel. We're like, look, if you just, if you just lighten the load that your father had in the people, they, they will serve you. I think it was kind of a nice way of saying, you're not your dad. Like, you're not. So we're just going to kindly tell you, like, look, just be nice to the people. They will respect you. Just don't try to be your dad. Yeah, you know, just, just, just listen to us, please. We know, we know. And these people did know. And so they kind of suggest, like, serve the people. Be a good leader as your father was and your grandfather was. And we see this in 1 Kings 12, 7. He did indeed not do that. The older counselors replied, if you're willing to be a servant to them, and this is like the key to leadership. If you're to be a good leader, you have to serve your people. If you're going to be a servant to these people today and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your loyal subjects. But Rehoboam was like, no, I got this. I think I know. In his own pride like a man who was not planted by streams of water, like a tree that was not planted by streams of water. He was not pursuing the things of God. And we see the result of this in 1 Kings 14, 22. During Rehoboam's reign, it says, the people of Judah did what was evil in the Lord's sight, provoking his anger with their sins. For it was even worse than that of their ancestors. So again, we, we had this kingdom established and, and, and things were, were pretty good. And they were rough before that. And he's like, Rehoboam just came along and undid everything that they had done. He had the tools at his disposal. His dad was the wisest man to ever live. He was along the lines of David. He had good people surrounding him. He had everything at his disposal. Again, he had the word of the Lord at his disposal. What they had up until that point, kings, they had access to it. Rehoboam knew what he was supposed to be doing. And went ahead and did the opposite. Again, the tools aren't of any use to us if we don't actually use them. So it goes on to say kind of the result of this, for they also uh, built for themselves pagan shrines and set up sacred sacred pillars and Asherah poles on every high hill and under every green tree. These things were everywhere, uh, shrines to pagan gods. And it's like, are you kidding me? Rehoboam, what are you doing? This is God's kingdom. You know, the God who said, you shall not have any other gods before me. And he just went and put just pagan shrines and just littered the kingdom with the stuff. Like what a dramatic reversal. It says there were even male and female shrine prostitutes throughout the land. The people intimidated and imitated the detestable practices of the pagan nations 
that the Lord had driven out from the land ahead of the Israelites. So it's hearkening back to the time when Joshua was coming into the land and they had to drive out all these detestable practices, these horrible things that were happening. We're talking child sacrifice, just like the worst of the worst. This was happening in that land. They had driven it out and now he's going back to all of it. It's like, what are you doing? He reverted and, and, and everything. I mean, and when you see this, this moment kind of marked the time where the kingdom was split into north and south, Israel and north, Judah and the south, and the, the kingdom would not just be a, a kingdom that was constantly after the heart of God. It would be pretty split, and it was more down than it was up until they finally exiled, they were exiled in, in, into Babylon. And, and it's like this dramatic reversal. Again, someone who was not after the heart of God leading the people. And I think we can look at that and be like, well, that's dramatic and that's crazy, but that's, that's them. But I think the reality is too, that without that continual source of truth, that we too are easily swayed, aren't we? I mean, it doesn't take much time. For me, it can be like in a day. If I, if I miss my devotional time sometimes in the morning and, and I get out and I'm like, I got this for the day. It's just like thing after thing and the things that normally wouldn't bother me are bothering me like crazy and 3 p.m. hits. I'm like, what is wrong with me today? It's like, whose understanding am I leaning on and who am I trusting in? And I'm trying to do it myself and the world has other plans. And I'm like, I'm not gleaning from the source of life. I'm not like a tree planted by the riverbank today. So without continual truth, without that source, time and time again, day after day, we too are easily swayed. Now, a few years ago, I uh, bought a pontoon boat, which is tons of fun. Um, Pontoon boats are kind of interesting, though. Uh, They're really big, but they're really light. And so when they get out on the water, they, uh, they get blown about easily. And so I had this spot that I go up to every year, Detroit Lake, since I was a little kid. I love going to this lake. Um, and, and so we talk about how the weather today isn't the weather tomorrow. The weather there is actually pretty predictable on normal days. Uh, the wind's going to kick up in the afternoon. You can, you can yeah, bet on that. It's going to happen. And so being out there in the afternoon when it's the warmest on the pontoon boat and trying to stay in one spa- spot, is, is, it's impossible. I mean, it really is. Without an anchor, it is impossible. And I found myself the first couple of years of having this boat, just loving it out there. And I would be like playing in the water with the kids. You know, everybody's having a good time. And I'm like, oh, shoot, we're like in the, we're in the shallows and we're about to get pushed up onto the shore. And um, I kid you not, we're, we're going like three to five miles an hour, like being blown by the wind. I mean, we're not trying to do this. It's happening on our own. And I feel like life is like this a lot. When we as people try to stay anchored, we try to stay in one spot, we get to a spot where we're like, no, this is good, this is God-honoring, this is good, and then the world just kind of takes us and, and tries to blow us about, tries to move us from that spot because we're being influenced by all these different areas time and time again. It's not just social media, it's the, it's the interactions you have with other people, it's your family life, it's all of it, right? It's constantly kind of this battle to push us off of where we would like to be. And, and, and again, I think it's so important that we know that, 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 this, is, that this is happening. Like without that knowledge and with, with the naivety that we often have, that we're like, oh, no, I'm good. And then you realize that, oh, I'm somewhere where I never thought I would be. And it's just like, it's like automatic. Without that anchor, without that intentional anchor, um, we need to be ready for it. 
And I think as, as we pursue God through his word, we see this, and I really like the way that uh, uh, Paul summarizes this in the book of Ephesians. He says this. He says, this will continue. He's like, as you pursue God, he said, this will continue until we have all come to such a unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son. There it is, knowing God, knowledge of God's Son, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. And he says this, this is the result. When we know God, when we get to this place of maturity, he says, then you will no longer be like immature, or you will no longer be immature like children. You won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. You will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. And again, that's the world, I think that's the devil's, at least in the United States, is his primary tactic is a twist of the truth where it looks, it looks good. It passes the sniff test, but it actually sneaks in, passes our defenses, and then throws us off track and we end up being somewhere that we never thought we would be. See, when we hold up the subtle lies to the truth of God, that when we are pursuing him and meditating on his word day and night, those lies are exposed. When they are held up to the truth, those lies are so easily exposed. And see, this is what we're doing when we know God and we pursue him. And I just want to encourage you with this, is that the more we know God, the more we are anchored. In him. The more we know God, the more that we are anchored in him. And for me, again, just once again to reiterate this as an individual and for us as a church, I want us to be a church that's anchored. I think it's important. I think it's absolutely vital that we are a church that's anchored to Christ and nothing else. Christ and his teachings, which we find in his scripture. And, and I just want to challenge you. If you're someone that doesn't read scripture regularly, do it. Try it. Five to ten minutes a day. Just try it. What do you have to lose? Just try it. If you're someone who uh, maybe has a regular scripture reading life, uh, maybe you need to change it up. I, I know, like, again, I, I get kind of bored. I've had times where I've, like, read five, five to ten chapters a day, and I get almost nothing from it. And lately, I've been just reading, like, a psalm, like, six, seven, eight, nine times, praying through it and reading it. I'm like, I get a lot out of that. But I, it may be time to change it up if, you're, if your uh, devotional life is, is, is not um, producing. Change it up. Change it up. So, anyway, I'm done talking for a little bit. I want to invite my friend Austin up here today so you can give him a hand because he's a neat guy. Austin. What's up, dude? Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Welcome to my little uh, interview studio. Yeah. Let's see how he does with the mic. Nobody likes mics. He doesn't use Hi mics. Everybody. Yeah. So this I'm is my terrified. friend Austin. Yeah, terrified. How's it going? Um, so this is Austin. You're Austin. Uh, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. That's a loaded question. Um, I, I'm Canadian. I grew up in Canada. I moved to the States about 20 or 2003. I've been here for a long time on and off. Um, I, like as it relates to everything, I keep thinking about, um, I, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, when I was 14, my dad said, if you don't want to be here, you don't have to come to church anymore. And I said, good, I'm gone. And I left until I was about 22 years old and just made a shipwreck of, of my life. And um, 
I used to tell people before God did a work in my heart, I hadn't read The Mouse and the Motorcycle. Like, I hated reading. I had no capacity for it, and um, I didn't graduate high school. I didn't go to college. I didn't do any of those things. So um, that was the context that yeah. I came to faith in. Yeah. Wow. And, and just so you know, today, uh, I met Austin a couple of years ago, and um, I've, I mean, I run in, I guess, Christian circles for the most part because of my job, and, um, and I, I don't know that I've come across many people, or maybe you're the one that I've come across that, I guess, has a, uh, such a deep knowledge and reverence for Scripture, um, so that's been pretty incredible, um, just this guy's ability to, to quote Scripture, uh, to, to know it, like, inside and out, it's pretty incredible, so now that I've bragged on you a little bit, how'd you get there? You didn't graduate high school. No, I didn't. I guess um, I would see, uh, and I was thinking about it as I was sitting up there, but um, I never came to Scripture with any thought of my own abilities to discern it. I, I had no confidence in myself whatsoever. Um, my wife has this great story when she came to faith, and she felt like the Lord said to her, everything I said is true. And... I just had such a deep sense that it was the one place that I could go to that I knew that anything that I read was absolutely true. I always laugh because I think about Moses and the fact in, in, when he writes about himself, he says he was the most humble man that ever lived. And um, I can relate. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but you think he's either lying or he has a correct view of what humility oh. is. And um, he knew his position before God. And so in that, he was able to surrender himself. And so mm. when I think about scripture, when I came to scripture and when I go to scripture, I go with the idea that he knows and mm. that everything he has to say is right and true. And you know, it says that the enemy is the father of lies. And we live in such a pervasive culture of lies. Mm. So to have a standard bearer in the midst of that, yeah. to me, is, is foundational, yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah, truth, truth is a relative term anymore in the world. And, and so to have that, like, like I said, that anchor is, yeah. I mean, you can't deny it and you can't... Mm. You can't treat it as something that's just neither here nor there. Or yeah, it, it's, a, it's an actual thing. Yeah. Um, in James, he says, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. Hmm. So the idea that when you're coming to it, because when you guys have come as a judge over scripture, I'm sure, and picked it apart and said, um, I'm coming with my understanding to the point of these verses. I'm coming with my circumstance, I'm coming with my experience, I'm coming with these things. But when you go in humility and receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul, mm. and then it goes on to say, proving yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. So the idea, when you look intently at the perfect law of freedom and you live by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer in this, you'll be blessed. Mm. And so my whole life has been surrendering to the fact that this is the standard and that there's a part of the Holy Spirit in all this that I think is, is transcends everything. 
you know, I had no desire to read because I didn't want to know. I had no desire to pursue God because I was dead inside. And it wasn't until I had a radical encounter with God mm -hmm. that I began to be so intoxicated with the idea that he was available to me and that I could find him there. So, yeah. Wow. So as you grew in kind of um, knowledge of God through scripture, what does that look like over the years? Um, maybe, maybe pointing out like what it looks like now and maybe some of the times where you've looked back and it's just been like, that's when I got it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm a human being, right? So every time I go to the scriptures, I get something and it's so life-giving and angels come down and they minister to me. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I think, so I met a guy years ago, we were, we actually, it's funny, I was thinking about giving this speech, and we worked for Wycliffe Bible Translators, so they translated scripture all over the, wow. the globe, and I also now work for a drug and alcohol rehabilitation center that's called the Northwest Bible Training Center, and so it's been this pervasive thing throughout my life, but I did meet this guy when we were acting, and he was a, he was a director, and he, he said this thing that impacted me a lot, and hopefully it will you guys, but he said, if you hear something in scripture, why wouldn't you want to remember it and call it to recollection? And it really challenged me to start memorizing scripture, and trust me, I know what you're thinking. Uh, I... I can't memorize. I never did it. I used to go downstairs. I, when I got this theater position, I would go downstairs at like four in the morning, panicking, writing out all my lines because I was terrified. And so one line at a time I would do of, of scripture. And it's amazing when you think about it and think about it and think about it and think about it. Just one sentence there's so much there. I said, it's really funny as a culture, we can read the book of Proverbs. We can sit down and bang out the book of Proverbs and think we did this great thing. And you go, they used to take one proverb and think about it. Like think about the implications of trusting in the Lord with all your heart and leaning not on your own understanding, not putting your weight on, not sitting on, not anything. Don't even lean on it your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. Think about if that was all you meditated on and thought about for a day. What does it mean to trust? What, how does that look? What does it mean to lean or not lean? What does it mean with all my heart? What does that even mean? How, does it, how do I do that? How is that functionally a thing? And, and That one verse, though, like if we were to actually meditate it, know it, live it, it would it completely change life. everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and also in light of, I would say this too, I, like I'm going on and on, but I, I would say this, like um, it says, be careful how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. And this idea that we have indefinite time, that we can do whatever we want, that we can waste time, like we're professionals at it as North Americans, but you know, culturally and historically, you look at when calamity came. I mean, th even th you think about the disciples, they were coming in, they thought Jesus was going to be the king, you know, they were all, they were arguing about who was going to sit closest to him, and they have dinner together, they think it's a celebration, they think the Romans are going to get overthrown the next day, and the next day, that night, everything changes. The Savior's taken from them. Can you imagine all your Bibles are taken, all our liberty is taken in an instant? And then you're recalled to, hey, well, why would you per be persecuted? Why would you stand? Why would you say? Because if you have zero baseline for who he is, what he's done, what he says, then, yeah, wow. it, that's a scary thought to me. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. So what is this, this last month, what does your prayer life or your uh, scripture reading life look like? I, I feel like there are times where um, I'll, I'll be really immersed. I'll read, 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 read. And then there are other times where I'll go for walks and I'll just recall the stuff that I remember. Um, the Holy Spirit's voice to me is scripture. You know, um, you know where it says putting on the full armor of God and then it says that the, the sword is the sword of the Spirit. Um, and he says that this is the word of God, is the sword of the Spirit. And so... Um, there are times where he brings, he just brings things to, to mind. Uh, my dad was passing away three years ago and I had this pro or this, uh, Psalm in my mind where it's like, as for man, his days are like grass as a flower of the field. So he flourishes when the winds passed over it, it's no more, it's place acknowledges it no longer. And then it says, but the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. And so I was just meditating on what is everlasting like what the fact that i know him and that i'll live forever and that i'll see my dad again because he knew the lords but things like that mm. as far as practical things uh i heard this of billy graham and i think it's true and with our iphones it's awesome but he used to have bibles open all around his house and just mm. you know um uh, all of you play video games on the can right Come on, some of you, play, you go to the bathroom and you start on your phones. Yeah, I'm sorry. The, He's Canadianism. speaking Canadian, yeah. yeah. it's Canadianism. But just, it's funny when you redeem the time, those, those times where you think there's so much time. And I'm going to hear, sorry, babe. Yeah, I'll hear about that later. Uh, yeah, that's why I don't do this often. So, um, but just this idea that redeeming the time. And staying in the same spot, if you don't understand something, stop. Look up the words, like, as though there's something there to glean. And that's the humility part. It's like, I'm, I'm submitting and surrendering myself to a truth that is greater than myself. And there's something there that needs to be understood. And when you come from that vantage point, you dig at it. You know, you're like, what does that word mean? Why and, and even to the point where you you're looking at yourself and you're like, I don't see this in in me, which leads to prayer and leads to yeah. all kinds of other things. So, yeah. Yeah. To your point, I think that that not, it's necessary to get that knowledge, that head knowledge from your head to your heart to actually like feel it, to know it, to, to walk it out. Um, and if you're skimming over scripture and moving on to the next thing before you understand the first thing, it's not even in your head. So the fact that it would make it to your heart without knowing it, it's like. What are we doing? All right, so we're out of time. Would you pray for us? Father, we're so blessed by you. Jesus, thank you so much that you rescued us, that you poured yourself out, that we could be free, that we could know you. And I do ask that uh, you'd stir everyone's affections um, you said from the abundance of our heart we speak. And so I pray that uh, you would bring conviction and warning and encouragement to everyone here that they would seek you with all of their heart and that you would be found by them. Thanks so much, Lord, for everything. In That's Jesus' good. name, amen. amen.
Thank you, Austin. Hey, Branches, bless you guys. Have a great week. Make sure you sign up and come to the furnace next Friday night, our prayer and worship night. We would love to see you there. We'll see you next week.